in 2019, a ragtag group of internet wrestling fans came together to record some silly shit. They survive now and on cocktails as soldiers of hilarity. If you can find them and you can get their schedules together, you can listen to the A Team. <laughs> Hi guys, thank 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 you very much for uh, being here. If uh, if I could just hi guys, uh, just just shut up. Thank you. Now if I could just uh, how do I press? Someone press someone press play for me. Thank you. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen of the press and of differing importance, I would just like to kind of announce this myself that within the A-team that's me, Jimmy and for some reason Scott uh, a decision has been reached that for Full Gear 2020 I will not be allowed on the podcast Uh, this was mutual which is why I'm choosing to announce it myself and I'm sorry that you weren't kind of given more of a heads up and now you're going to have to listen to the rest of the show without me I can only apologise for that but please support the brand I will be back Uh, there are better podcasts with me on it and the Naked Men podcast is the peak of everything that we do here, Rogue Opinions obviously, you don't need me to tell you that but because AEW sometimes my takes are too hot too hot to handle and a softer approach was needed for full gear 2020 and which is why i will step to the side and just allow jimmy and scott to thrive in an environment that kind of suits them better which is watching watching whatever the show was i didn't actually watch it i didn't need to and uh so I will be back so could someone get that that lady a tissue like she's a puddle is forming but until then I miss you just as much as you miss me sayonara bitches hit it
Thank you very much, Nathan. And that's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is once again time for another grapple update here on the Rogue Opinions podcast. I am Jim. I am joined by Scott today, and we are sans Nathan because, unlike what you heard here at the beginning of the podcast, we asked him not to be here after the, uh, I don't know, what would you call it, tantrum he threw last year for Full Gear, Scott? The one-man show titled... Kenny Omega is in a fucking death match later on. <laughs> one of the longest podcasts of my entire life. Not just an hour actually went, but how long it, it honestly felt. Like when, there. when we are messaging each other see, like privately while he's going on a, uh, a rant and whatnot, just being like, wow, holy shit, fucking Nathan is on one. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> It's just, it, was funny. it was funny at first, and then he just kept going, and I'm like, what is, what is it actually his issue? And we couldn't, we, we just, eventually we had to just yell right over the top, and like, just stop talking. He's like, yeah. he just wouldn't stop. We fucking get it. We get it. Uh, but yes, the voice you hear there, as I said, is Scott McLeod, one of the greatest re- wrestling minds in all of the United Kingdom, as I've been, uh, as I've learned over this last year. Uh, and of course, I'm Jim here, the uh, voice of uh, Indie Wrestling Federations. Most of you guys don't know about. Anyway, um, we're going to talk about specifically uh, AEW Full Gear 2020. Not as much on the docket today as we normally cover here on the Grapple Update. Uh, but let's get right into it, Scott. What do you th- what do you say? Let's do it. All righty. So we start off on the buy-in. Uh, uh, most of the beginning of the show, as usual, for the buy-in uh, is promo packages, little cut-down segments from the countdown special from the night before on TNT. Um, before we get to the match, I just wanted to ask you, uh, I thought this time around the promo packages and the interviews that they happened to do this time were way better and just had... I don't know, this whole show sort of had like a bigger feel to it. Um, it sort of came across like they knew that they had to make up for uh, the uh, all-out uh, sort of situation last time. Did that come across to you at all? Yeah, I think so. Like, I, I usually don't really pay much attention to the buy-in because like, much like with WWE's pre-show, like the video packages that they show you will probably get replayed on the main show. But I did notice that an updating quality and... Uh, I did like that. Uh, the other thing other, of note for me, really, other than the match that we're going to talk about, is MJF's interview, where uh, he basically he talked about how he's not soft and he's going to join the inner circle. And I remember during the interview, I think like because I think at the end of the year, I think like has no one actually asked what happens to Wardlow? Because it's all about MJF joining the inner circle, but like surely that means then Wardlow joined the inner circle, and I felt like that up until that point it hadn't been addressed. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, uh, the one that stood out for me was the uh, Cody Rhodes and Darby Allen um, promo package. Uh, I, I think hearing Darby getting to speak um, in sort of like full sentences a little bit more and really bring that character to the forefront rather than just be the guy with the face paint or the tattoos or, you know, the skateboard or whatever. Um, I, I thought uh, these promo packages were fantastic. And obviously we'll get into those uh, during the show. But uh, during the second half of the, the buy-in special on uh, YouTube, Facebook, all their social media outlets, uh, we had Serena Deeb defending the NWA World Women's Championship against the former champion, Allison Kay. Uh, this match went about 10 and a half minutes. Uh, and Serena Deeb walked away with the victory by submission over Allison Kay. 
Uh, I thought this match was very well wrestled. Uh, I actually gave a shit about this match. We'll get into the other women's world title match later on when we get to the main show. Uh, but overall, uh, this this match with zero build and uh, just good wrestling was enough for me. Uh, I really enjoyed it. What did you think, Scott? I really, really enjoyed it. It only got like just over 10 minutes, but technically it was sound. I couldn't like find any flaws in it other than the fact that, you know, it's like a, it's another company's title. And again, also with kind of no build, but like it was a solid match. And like you said, you cared about it. Like Alison Kay is a free agent. So there's a chance we could see her in AEW going forward. And I think AEW's women's division needs somebody like Alison Kay. I'm pretty sure, despite the fact that Serena Deep is in W Women's Champion, she might already be signed to AEW. So like already looking at these two, I think these two should be a bigger part of the women's division here in AEW. And it, like... I think it's, it's more com- commentary on AEW that when they when they made the announcement, Justin Roberts did this contest with a 60-minute time limit, I openly laughed. Like, <laughs> a women's match in AEW going 60 minutes. You're funny, Justin. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, hey, they, they do have the time limit set up for a reason, but uh, I think Allison Kay really showed uh, what she's capable of here. Uh, I saw her... Uh, most recently, I guess, on uh, Bloodsport uh, when she she had a fight on that show. Um, and she seems to fill the um, uh, Chris Statlander sort of vo- uh, void that was left by Chris, uh, Chris Statlander's injury, where she's sort of like she's a bigger, stronger sort of competitor. Uh, the size difference was very noticeable uh, during this match. Allison K got plenty in. And uh, yeah, I mean, overall, this match was just very solid. Uh, Serena Deeb showed a little bit of... Um, like an anger streak in this one, really uh, out there trying to keep her title. Um, solid match on the buy-in, though. Yeah, I mean, the buy-in was already a, a fast improvement. You know, the lack of Serpentico really helped it. And then, like, also mentioned Thunder Rosa coming out. He's in a rematch between her and Deep for the title, whether or not that'll be on, a, on AEW or that'll be just a separate thing for NWA. But I'm looking at these Stanley like, like, I know uh, Thunder Rosa came in and said like, she's got another year in her deal with the NWA and she wants to maintain maintain loyal to that and then she'll decide where she goes after that. You look at these three, you think like these three in our feud for the AEW Women's Championship would be so much better than what we've currently got. And I say this as someone who's become a real big fan of Hikaru Shida, but feuds-wise they've given Shida basically nothing since she's been champion. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, uh, I, I'm i a re- very, very big fan of Hikaru Shida as well, but they're giving her nothing. Um, she's doing the best with, I mean, we'll get into it a little bit later, but I mean, Hikaru Shida had a better match with Penelope Ford than she did Nyla Rose on the show. And I don't think that that's Shida's fault necessarily, but we will get into that later as we move swiftly to the main show uh, where we open up with, see, and I didn't, think that they were going to open up with this but in retrospect it makes total sense that they would open up with the AEW World Championship Eliminator Tournament final match uh, where the winner receives a future AEW World Championship match uh, Kenny Omega taking on Hangman Adam Page this match went about 16 and a half minutes it felt longer to me but in uh, like in a good way though like I when it a lot of these matches when they got to the end I almost sort of felt shortchanged where I wanted more of it because they were very very good um, but this match Don Callis was on guest commentary they made it a very 
Um, they made it very clear that he worked for Impact. They credited him as Impact uh, Wrestling EVP. Um, so mm-hmm. before we get into the match, do you think um, maybe there's a sort of Impact Wrestling uh, sort of maybe mini partnership brewing here? Who knows? I'm not really sure. I think a lot of it is really to do with the fact that uh, Don Callis has that relationship with Kenny Omega. And so I think also just giving them credit because AEW likes crediting other promotions as we've seen with NWA and Kenny Omega being the AAA champion. So I don't really see actually it going much further here. I think it's just the fact that Don Callis really knows Kenny Omega. And like, I know, like, say what you will about JR, and we have a lot on this podcast, and as have a lot of other people, but for this particular match, commentary took a drastic like, step up uh, just with matches with the inclusion of Don Callis. And he didn't he didn't necessarily say much either, but uh, mm-hmm. I feel like they all sort of like, uh, you know, like it, when an uncle that like an uncle or something comes over and like your mom is always just like, hey, make sure you guys are on your best behavior today. That's what that sort of felt like to me. Was that <laughs> like, hey, the the good the good commentator is here. Make sure you mind your P's and Q's a little bit. Um Omega got his uh, his big grand entrance. Um, I still don't understand the North Carolina thing. I don't know. I'm, I miss half of it now because Justin Roberts is trying to fit so much shit in um, to the to the entrance. Um, and apparently, um, Kenny Omega has 32 wins in AEW, which, goddamn, he's at the top of the leaderboard uh, as far as uh, wins in the company, um, which is crazy because I think. Uh, John Moxley going into the show was 20 wins. So, I mean, just the amount of matches that he's had and, uh, and, and the fact that he was in what two lights out matches to eat two. And like he, those don't even count towards the record. So, um, uh, hangman and page came out and he, uh, was in his, uh, little nameplate thing was called focused. Yeehaw man <laughs> killed me, killed me dead. Um, and then, uh, so you, you, you get this hard-hitting match between uh, two guys who've really been putting on a really good show during this tournament. Um, not as much uh, in the way of uh, their story that had been going on, uh, at least in ring-wise. Uh, they just sort of went out there and beat the fuck out of each other. Um, at one point, uh, Paige delivers a crazy brutal powerbomb on the ramp uh, and then does another one and sits out with it for a near fall. Uh, just stunning stuff. Uh, I was almost surprised by the finish. As I said, uh, this is one of the matches where uh, I, I don't think it went long enough, but like in a good way, because uh, it, it got into that full gear, so to speak. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know I'm, I'm here all night, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and <laughs> it, it really did uh, get to the, the place that you wanted it to go. But honestly, I would have watched this for another 10 or 15 minutes uh speaking about the match now scott what did you think of the final of the aw world championship eliminator tournament i i want to say like this is a story that you think should have more like story behind it and like it's two former tag team partners and can we talk about the first the music for the video package that you don't know what it's got until you've got until it's gone just perfect amazing Amazing. <laughs> it was just so powerful. I mean, it starts with uh, Hangman like holding his drink uh, from a few weeks back, like looking at the TV, watching Omega wrestle and everything. Uh, Hangman looked distraught when uh, after he uh, hit after Kenny hit the one wing angel, which I don't know about you, but I really thought that they were going to have 
Hangman like kick out of the one wing, like be the first person to kick out of the uh, one winged angel. Uh, did that was that something that like popped into your head at all? Maybe. Uh, not really, because I actually didn't realize that the one winged angel probably hadn't been kicked out of an AEW yet. Maybe that's because I haven't really been paying attention, or I don't. Or there have been periods where I'm not watching Dynamite as weekly as I should. But it was an interesting thing because so Hangman hit his old finisher, kind of the. Where he kind of drops like a reverse version of the pile driver. I know Kazaria needs to do it in, in TNA, and I don't know why he ever stopped doing it. The dad. Like, so yeah, he, he, which kind of was his old finisher, but now he's focused on the, like, the buckshot ladder. And I'm looking at a finisher like that, like, again, why would you ever stop doing a finisher like that? Like, Kenny kicked out of that, but he kept countering the buckshot ladder. So Kenny's finisher is not only kept protected, but Highman didn't actually hit the ladder. So both guys kind of walked out with their finishers protected, which is really nice. And as you said, like, I could have watched this go for much longer. I didn't expect it to open. I thought like the Bucks FTR would have opened the show, or maybe even Cody versus Darby. But it's very rare that you see a match that went 16 minutes. I I could have watched them go longer. Uh, and I'm, I'm not really sure what to think about Kenny's entrance either. He stood behind that like thin like like sheet. For quite a long time, you could see like his outline, and I said to the guys I was watching this with, like, Kenny Omega showing in his love for video games by playing the part of character you are yet to unlock for his <laughs> entrance. <laughs> Did he look, his silhouette looked like he was wearing, like, The Undertaker's, like, cloak, mm-hmm. right? I, like, Undertaker hasn't eaten in a long time, because his arms were all, like, so thin, and that's still, I don't know why, what it was, maybe just the angle it was shot at, or whatever. And, yeah, I thought Hyman was actually going to win this. Uh, so, surprised to see that, that Kenny won. And I think maybe, like, when we talk about the World Championship match, like, maybe, like, whoever, like when Kenny Omega challenges for the title, maybe the person who's the champion will kick out of it, or maybe Kenny will win the title, and then the person who eventually takes the belt from him will uh, be the first person to kick out of it. I like the idea of it still being protected, because it was protected a lot in Japan as well. Uh but it is weird that like you said that there wasn't a lot of story like in regards to them as being tag partners because that's what the entire video package was about. Uh, but I think the case of like this, like these two are top singles contenders for the title. We're also former tag partners, so basically, like we're doing a tournament, but it also gives us the excuse to do the first match between Kenny and Hangman, and we can probably come back to this later, likely for the title at some point. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like I said on the last uh, grapple update that we did, um, I am so much a hangman guy now. Like at, yeah. uh, when this company first started and it, it seemed like they were pushing hangman into it, even up to his title match with uh, Jericho. Uh, I think that was at all out their their first pay-per-view for the title. Uh, I was even just like, eh, this guy really. Um, but I mean, they, with what they've done with him over the last year on TV and everything, I'm definitely a Hangman guy, and I'm interested to see where this goes next. Yeah, totally. Like, I couldn't give two shits this time last year about Hangman Page. Like uh, last year's Phil Gary had that great match with Pac, and they were trying to like rebuild them after the loss to Jericho, but still, I was struggling to to kind of care. But I think it's showing that. You know, in some people's eyes, maybe the story with the Bucks and Kenny has gone on for quite a long time. Uh, it's shown that over the course of the last few months, it's done a lot for him. And I was like, because like, I'm a big fan of his as well, like, that's why I wanted him to win the title. I wanted him to win this match. And 
I think eventually he will win the title. Uh, but it's nice that they're actually doing it organically rather than like the way that we we all thought he was going to. And I should say like this match like was crazy. Like Kenny doing the the moonsault or the hurricane run that Jr. called it off the the barricade and like the tiger driver ninety eight. But Hangman kicked out of and I want to know your thoughts here. Like, I mean, like you mentioned the powerbomb Hangman did on the outside and I did one in back inside the ring, but Kenny kicked out of it. One of the guys I was watching with said like he didn't agree with that and that he feels that a powerbomb should always be a finisher. Like if you use a powerbomb, that should be to finish a match. Yeah, yeah, I could see that for sure. Um, because the way that your like your neck and your head just bounce off of either you know the rampway in this situation or then again in the ring. Um, the Tiger Driver ninety eight, by the way, holy shit! They showed a separate angle of it, like on a replay. And Hangman's head was, if not right on the mat, like very, very close. And it was th- this whole show was just like every once in a while, it was like, "Ooh, that pile driver looks stiff." Jeez, Jesus. Um, yeah, for, for me, for me, it wasn't the scariest pile driver of the night. For me, the scariest pile driver was yet to come. Oh, ooh, teasing it. Um, so uh, Kenny Omega moves on uh, to. Uh, Challenge for the AEW World Championship next against either John Moxley or Eddie Kingston. If you watched it, you know. If you didn't, thanks for listening. Um, but we'll get there in a minute. Uh, next up uh, on the main card, uh, Orange Cassidy took on John Number Four Silver, who is freaking Jack, baby. Um, and uh, they went about nine minutes, nine and a half minutes, and uh, Orange Cassidy got the win. Um, this this match uh, isn't the best match of the night, but I had the most fun watching this match it was like the perfect amount of time um i okay so i have a question for you um in that first opening standoff you see uh bryce remsburg and silver in like the same shot and it occurred to me are they clones because they they are very very similar in appearance um the opening moments of this match were, were so funny um silver tears the pockets off of cassidy's pants therefore becoming the biggest heel in professional wrestling um, I don't care who you are, who you run over, who you did it for, or whatever. The biggest heel in the history of professional wrestling is John Silver. Um, I also realized that uh, I am Austin Gunn at these shows, at wrestling shows, uh, losing his shit. He tweeted out later on that uh, he lost his voice and uh, everything like that. But uh, that definitely a lot of fun in this match. Uh, freshly squeezed Orange Cassidy gets a win. I think he definitely needed the win. And against a guy like John Silver, who needed the pay-per-view time, not necessarily the win, I think that this was a great showcase for him. And uh, Orange Cassidy came out with the win, and I think it did wonders for both guys in under 10 minutes. Um, can't say enough good things about this match. Uh, what about you, Scott? No, I, I really enjoyed it. It was a smart move. Like The placement of this match right after Kenny and Hangman, like the kind of variety of this show really helped uh, serve it well, I think which is what you need for a really good pay-per-view. And uh, I do agree with the, the comparison. I think the case of, like, it's like three stages of a Pokemon. You've got Bryce Rensburg, who then evolves into John Silver, who then evolves into Stu Grayson, I think. You know, it's the three <laughs> stages of a revolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Just, I need to see a picture with the three of them all standing next to each other with, like, the only thing that really changes is, like, the muscle definition and the beard. I was going to say, I was trying to think of another bald person who had some kind of beard. I thought, you can't go from John Silver to someone who doesn't have a beard. And the only other person that stuck out is Stu Grayson. 
Um, I because uh, Bryce and Silver, like their noses are the, like the, there's a lot of facial features that are like very very similar, and it they're that first shot of them standing there, my uh, my internet buffered for like a second, like when they were standing there, so I got to like see it for an extra second or two, and I was like, hmm, what's this about? <laughs> I really enjoyed like the match, uh, like you said, the, the tearing out of the pockets was interesting. Like I did like Tony Schiavone being the voice of the reason. Or he's always like, no, no, as Kaz is doing the slow, putting the hands in his pockets, and Shivani's like, well, just stop him then, just do, like, you know, like just reach your hands out and stop him. Uh, and then as he turned the, the pockets out, and then what was weird for me is that the match really slowed down, like, right in the middle, like, right down. Like, I think they, they thought we need to slow things down a bit after, like, the high pace opener that we just had. But like I think he could have served with having a bit more comedy in this match, given it's Francesca Ali. I know you want to like push him a little bit more, you know, he's had TNT title opportunities and everything, but I think a few more like comedic spots in this match could have served it a bit well, rather than just like the bit at the start with the pockets. Uh, I do love the fact that one of the I think one of the best main finishes I've heard recently is that spin out move that John Silver did called the spin doctor, as Excalibur called it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Not really. I just like that he got this opportunity, obviously, now that Alex Reynolds is injured. Uh, I do like that the Dark Order members are starting to get their own, like, personalities. Uh, like, cause, like, Grayson and Uno have carved their own thing as a tag team. Ten is starting to get, like, a different, like, mass to stand, help them stand out from the other mass members. Silver's getting to be more like he is on, like, being the elite. Like, Anna Jay is starting to come into her own. Uh, my one question is, like, where the fuck is Brody Lee, you know? Like... I was I was hoping to see him at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Brody Lee. It like they took a lot of time to sort of define him up until you know he won the, the TNT title, and then he had those couple of matches. And I think you know doing with a little time uh, with the other Dark Order members could uh, actually benefit them a little bit. And seeing the more like BTE stuff with uh, John Silver being out of his fucking mind really uh was great because i i've called a few john silver matches and this is that guy like he's a hundred percent that guy when he wrestles and it's good to finally see that like i said i can't say enough uh good about this match i think it was perfectly placed perfect amount of time uh really the only nitpicky thing is i agree with you like maybe even do a little bit more comedy because john silver like with the strength that he has he was able to uh, base for uh, Cassidy enough so Cassidy could do his like whirly dervishes and whatnot and he's also light enough where John Silver picked him up with that one arm and every- it was mm-hmm. just this that this match was just a lot a lot of fun uh, I'm glad it didn't go on any later uh, the the pacing of this show was very you didn't burn out as much uh, on this show and I think that helped yeah I mean it didn't help Pacing was good for most of the matches, although I still did struggle because, like, AEW doesn't do these do pay per views that often they've been doing for a year. So they seem to think, yeah, let's do four hour pay per views, but it's fine because we spaced them out, not realizing that you're starting 1 a.m. UK time. And for me, it was a struggle because, like, I think when I thought that I only had one match list and I found, I remembered that I still had Jericho and Jeff to go through. I was like, oh God, why? And I. We'll get to again that match later on. Fuck me. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, not not a lot of uh, th- all the good did have a little bit of shit in the woods. Uh, you, you know what I mean? You just have to watch where you're walking on this pay per view a little bit. Uh, moving I, I swiftly, 
sorry, I will, I will say about the, the comedy thing, like, because you could do more stuff with Cassidy without the pockets, because, like, if you watch back his Lumberjack match with Cody, I don't, I don't think there's a point in that entire match where he does any of his, like, his usual, like, hands-in-the-pocket stuff. He's very serious throughout that whole match. So we, we've seen he can do stuff like that. And, like, I wanted just Cassidy to do a bit more in the match, because I was in the bit at the start, and then the ending, the middle portion was just all silver, and it felt like, you know, Cassidy did the typical face, gets beat down for ages, comes back, gets these two big moves, and just wins, because, like, he did Orange Bunch, and then his other finisher, which I, I can never remember the name of, and then he just uh, won. The Stun Dog Millionaire. No, the other one, kind of looks like we got him kind of up on his shoulders, and he just drops him down. I can never remember. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't remember what that's called, either. Um, but, um... Yeah, they, like I said, I mean they had a they had a fun outing. It was good that for me it was good that John Silver had a lot to do in the middle, um, just because he's maybe not as clearly defined as Cassidy because Cassidy's coming off of the Jericho feud and then the little mini Cody feud that he had. Um, so we've been seeing a lot of him lately, and uh, John Silver getting to sort of uh, show what he's doing, uh, show what he's capable of. Really, it was uh, good enough. For, for me for tonight and I hope that you know we get a little bit more of uh, John Silver one-on-one matches because I like the Beaver Boys and whatnot but I, I'm, I've been a big big fan of John Silver who I've heard referred to in certain circles as the muscle hamster and uh, it's always good to see, it's always good to see him come out and uh, do what he does right um, yeah I, I should say like I know you don't really watch Dark but I was I was watching an episode of Dark the other day, and the best thing I've ever heard about John Silver was said by uh, by Brandy Rhodes, who was on commentary. She uh, was like giving out to Anna J. It was, it was an Anna J. match, and apparently John Silver was on that. I saw Brandy on AEW's YouTube, and apparently he was just there as a distraction so Anna J. could break any Brandy's hits and attack her. She like she used John Silver. She used his hunkiness to sneak attack me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Anna J has been doing like very, very funny like facial facial reactions like during the promos and whatnot. Like especially when John Silver's talking and stuff, the way that she like looks at him like side eyed and but is sort of like like there for it. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> it, it's just it's been a lot of fun, and I'm I'm really starting to like the Dark Order again. I'm hoping they don't break my heart. I'm just I'm really hoping yeah. I'm really hoping they don't break my heart again. Uh, one thing that one thing that they do need is to sort out who comes up with the the numbers. It's like you got Uno and Grayson that are one and two, uh, Reynolds and Silver four, three and four. You got Alan Angels that's five, and then somebody jumps to bloody number ten, and then Anna Jay's number ninety nine. Like who's who's sorting these numbers? Like it's starting to sound like the bloody stonecutters from Simpsons with the different <laughs> rankings and numbers. <laughs> We might have to we might have to play the Stonecutters uh, theme when we finish this uh, finish this podcast. Um, next next up though is arguably match of the night. Um, they, I mean the first three matches here just I mean banger after banger after banger. I mean just good good things all the way through. And Darby Allen took on Cody Rhodes. Yes, Cody Rhodes with uh, the Nightmare Family in tow for the AEW TNT Championship. Uh, it went 17 minutes, and surprisingly, Darby Allen walked away the new AEW TNT champion. Um, this was literally something that I i don't remember if I texted it to you guys or if I texted it to somebody else, that I literally jumped up out of my, uh, out of my seat when um, the three count came down. 
this was another one of those um, solid promo packages. Um, Cody's entrance needs to be trimmed down. I'm tired of it. It needs to go away. I could literally go and make an entire, I don't know, party sub in the time that it takes uh, Cody to come out. Uh, they announced that this match was 60 minutes, which is the normal length of a title match in AEW. Um, I, I thought that the TNT title was always 20 minutes, but I guess because these guys have gone to a time limit draw and there was another time limit draw uh, with Orange Cassidy recently that maybe they decided to make the pay-per-view one 60 minutes. Not too sure about that. Um, the pops, though, for when Justin Roberts announced Rhodes, uh, the audience like lost it, started chanting for Cody Rhodes. Um, and then there was uh, the Mike Kyoto chant because Kyoto refereed this match. Um, uh, Cody even stopped him before he raised the belt, and he's just like, listen, listen, they're, they're chanting for you. Um, and uh, surprisingly, there was uh, some booze that piped out when uh, Cody rolled to the outside, which I thought was interesting. Um, uh, it didn't seem to affect him. Granted, they had about 1,000 people in attendance, which was, I think, the most since... Uh, you know, the pandemic started. Um, so the it, the show definitely had the atmosphere uh, working for it, which was nice. Um, Cody at one point took uh, a hammerlock, like, throw onto the ramp. It was disgusting to watch. I mean, it was very interesting, but it definitely made me sit up in my seat a little bit and go, holy shit. Um, let's see. Arn, Arn looks like a Goomba that my uncle owes money to uh, in that, like track jacket and and necklace that he had on with the fucking chest hair sticking out um cody hits an avalanche crossroads kick out at two um i bit for the near fall for the coffin drop and then of course uh darby got the win uh with a roll-up and just totally totally sent me into like hysterics i was totally alone in my apartment just freaking out like yeah holy shit it was very very cool Loved this match. Uh, before we get to the post-match angle, uh, what did you think of uh, Darby and Cody? Darby and Cody 4, I think this is. Yeah, I think so. Uh, from what I've heard regards to like, the TNT title, like, the, the title change with like, Brody Lee squashing Cody wasn't really meant to happen. Like, they just had to get the belt off Cody for like, so he could go and film that reality show and then they just put it back on him. Uh, so like, I was wondering, like, so I think they may have had a plan for who Cody was going to draw to originally, and I figured it might be someone like a Darby Allen. But the fact that he was just like so soon after he won the belt back, I was I wasn't sure whether it's going to go. But I, I wanted Darby Allen to win. Like Cody has beat him twice, and Darby's come close both times. Also, then they had the draw, and like Cody and the promo packages, and then in interviews, like I listened to uh, the AEW media call, the. Uh, he sounded very confident in himself. I think they've been telling that story of like Cody's overconfidence. Like that's what caused him to get beat by Brody Lee in such decisive fashion. And then he had this year, like Arn Anderson, last couple of weeks, like when he was doing push-ups, like Arn Anderson's given out to him about it. And I really hope now that he's not the champion that actually goes somewhere between him and Arn about Cody getting serious, because otherwise, then you're just repeating the stuff that led up to the Brody Lee loss, and that's just really lazy booking, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad Darby's actually doing something now because, like, I think he got injured for a while, uh, right about double or nothing, and then came back and then nearly got fucking 
killed again when he did that uh, body bag spot at All Out. So if they somehow actually something to do, actually see him get a title, and hopefully we'll see him cut like more promos on TV. Because I really think when you think look back at AEW the last year and a bit, one of the true late guys that they actually made themselves like a star, that the AEW made a star that who wasn't one already coming into it was Darby Allen. Yeah, I mean, this was, I couldn't agree more. I mean, this was something that uh, Darby mentioned um, in the promo package where he wasn't necessarily the guy that was sitting by the phone expecting a phone call about, hey, let's jump in and, you know, join this thing and stuff. And it's been mentioned uh, earlier in the feud that Cody was the guy who uh, went out of his way to recruit Darby. And uh, that's why they had the match together and all that other stuff. I mean, this was fantastic. Darby coming out as the winner was like something I've been waiting for. I, I wanted Darby to win the TNT tournament, even though I knew that it wasn't going to happen. I really was pulling for Darby Allen to win that tournament and uh, him finally coming away with the belt. I'm interested to see what he does with it. Post-match, uh, of course, uh, I mean, Darby is overcome with emotion and they're raising each other's hands and they're having like a, like a, a, a like a love in a little bit. And now, of course, Taz comes out to ruin our fun, uh, and he starts saying, you know, I'd, I'd like to say, uh, act like you've been there before, but you haven't been there before. Now get the hell out of the ring and stuff like that. And while he's talking, uh, Ricky Starks and Brian Cage come in. Ricky Starks takes out Arn Anderson at ringside, which didn't actually get caught on camera too much. And I don't even think that the uh, the commentators really noticed it until they cut to Arn Anderson, which is like a nit- nitpicky kind of thing. Um and then uh, they beat down Cody. They beat down Darby. They throw Darby through the uh, full gear. Uh, so now I'm sort of conditioned to whenever I see that little like stanchion with like the cutout for in the center for uh, like the logo of the pay per view. I know somebody's going through it at some point. Um, and then they tried to uh, my my feed cut out a little bit here when I was uh, watching it. Did they throw him into the car and then try to shut the car door on his arm? Before Hobbs no. came out, no, they threw him to the the full gear like part of the set. And what's weird is when I was watching it, it looked like they were taken towards the car before they did the bit where they threw him through the bit that says full gear. And it for a second looked like uh, like Cage didn't know where he was going. He got or he got lost before he then does the thing to Darby. And then they took him up to the car, and then they did, they placed placed him on. And you thought they were going to put him through the windshield, but they decided to like do the bit with the car door. And then that's when Will Hobbs came out. I actually thought the obvious thing was to like try and put him through the windshield, but at least the piece of windshield that Darby hadn't broken when he randomly like smashed the the windshield when he came out. Because I thought he was going like the car would like park, and then Darby would just like skateboard off the car as part of his entrance or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then uh, like we said, Will Hobbs came out with the chair, and uh, they moved on essentially. Um, uh, you know, Hobbs made the save. They moved on, and then uh, we get a promo backstage from uh, QT Marshall and uh, Dustin Rhodes, uh, where they announced that they spoke to uh, Tony Khan earlier in the day, and they are going to have a bunkhouse match on uh, Wednesday on Dynamite uh, between the, the Butcher and the Blade and uh, the Natural Nightmares. Uh, so that should be fun uh, to watch. Dustin is is getting more and more uh, 1980s promo shouty in his promos. <laughs> And I, I'm not going to say I hate it. Dustin's been killing it. Uh, QT Marshall is somebody who uh, 
they're really, really trying with this story with the bunny. So hopefully it uh, leads into something fun. Um, uh, I could, like, I'll, I'll just go back to the match for a second. But before I do that, uh, my only real thoughts on the promo is like, I'm not entirely sure what a bunkhouse match is. I've heard the name of the bunkhouse, like Stampede and things like that. So I know it's to do like NWA and WCW and then obviously it's going to be like no DQ or something like that. But I do love that uh, Dustin looked down the camera and said, you know, I know, you know what a bunkhouse match is? Let me tell you what a bunkhouse match is before proceeding to not tell us exactly what a bunkhouse match was. Yeah, and then he's like, you couldn't last 10 minutes with me. And it's like, oh, so is it like a 10-minute time limit thing, like with Jericho and Jungle Boy? Or what are we doing here? What's, what's, what's the deal? Yeah, it, was, it wasn't very clear. It was very shouty. But something I, I realized earlier on today is that the last time it was just you and me talking about an AEW show was Fighter Fest when Cody and Darby had the 20-minute draw. And it's way funny now we're here talking about Cody and Darby again, and now Darby's won his like first championship in AEW. Oh wow! Look at that! It's it's it's, it's all coming together. It's all full circle here yeah. at Full Gear. Yeah, and I did like the, the finish, like because Darby got battered for quite a lot. Cody was very like dominant, and that played into him getting arrogant. And both he and Darby did like the whole like like no disbelief that they're giving the other guy their best moves and they're kicking out. But they didn't do what a lot of wrestlers do, which is oversell the what? Like nature of it, just like they look properly like, just frustrated without having to like oversell it. And then while it does that, there were like two or three near falls before the, the eventual roll up that got Darby the win, uh, which I've seen happen in previous matches, and I like that because like it lulls you into thinking, like, well, they kicked out the last three attempts, so they'll kick out this one, and then they don't. And that actually lulls you into actually genuinely, like, oh, like it's the actual surprise of like, the result, even if he wanted that person to win. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I jumped up out of my seat and was just like, yeah, because uh, I, I, I said earlier, I'm like a, like a hangman guy. But I mean, Darby is another one of like, you know, like when you're watching wrestling, you you pick like a few acts that you're just sort of like, I relate to that or, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of them. And like, I've always want to see them come away with a victory. And uh, Darby Allen is one of those guys. And I'm excited to see what the TNT title looks like away from Cody Rhodes for a little while, like maybe get Cody in a tag team or have him in some sort of like other feud. Maybe, maybe he wins the FTW title from Brian cage. Maybe now he's like involved with that team Taz thing and, and whatnot. So hopefully there's a little bit of a different thing for Cody Rhodes to do now that he's Cody Rhodes again and he doesn't have the TNT title and he has got Arn. A lot of questions coming out of this for both sides of it and I think that's what made it really, really effective. Maybe he can now like take some time to actually properly tell us what the fuck is the Nightmare family. Because like, he that, came out with bloody Lucky Johnson, the gun club, like and all these there's this massive like, entourage with them and then they all buggered off. Like, what's the point in coming out with them out? In the first place, if it's just going to be on Anderson that stays out there with you, like I have no idea what the bloody Nightmare family is. I do like, I'd like you say, I want to see what Darby Allen's like reign with the TNT deal as a whole. It's not like to be like, oh, babyface like uh, chases it for ages, but only has a short title reign for losing it to like somebody in Taz's group. But if he's going to like feud with anybody for it, it should be Ricky Starks because like I saw like the bit where. Both he and Cage like doing the tug of war of the belt before Taz had to step in. I'm like, no, like fuck off, Cage. Like you got you got Taz's handmade down belt, and Ricky gets the actual belt. 
Yeah, he just Brian, Brian Cage. You got given a title, so you know, keep doing what you're doing with it. Do what you want to do. Let Ricky do his thing and see what happens there. Because uh, again, that's a match we've seen before, but now with a title, it could be uh, a little bit different. Maybe a stipulation. I'm very intrigued because, like oh, later on with the first I Quit match in AEW, and of course the uh, Elite Deletion and stuff, I'm interested to see like how their version of these uh, stipulation matches go, and uh, maybe we'll get. Darby doing something a little different with the belt and hopefully uh, it gets going in the right direction. But Scott, Mm -hmm. something that didn't go in the right direction at all without a question for me, it's the worst match of the night. AEW women's world title match. Karashita took on Nyla Rose uh, 14 minutes and 10 seconds. This match felt like it took three days um, to finish. I don't know if this was a necessarily on Sheeta I mean, don't get me wrong. I have plenty of problems with Sheeta um, choosing when to sell the leg injury uh, and then continuing to go for knee strikes with the knee and suplexes that need the knee. And, like pretty much all of her offense required her knee. Like what the fuck? You know, like, um, I don't know. And then there was like, um, I, I even wrote down, I don't like this at all. <laughs> like I did not like this match at all. The ref, Easily saw Vicky interfere at one point, but because Vicky had more to do, she didn't get like removed from the match, and the match didn't get called off because AEW doesn't do disqualifications and you know finishes like that. Apparently, um, maybe I, I don't know exactly know what the problem was with this match, but it was just awful. It was I thought this match was horrible. I thought the NWA Women's Title match should have been on the main show. Um, because in just what four less minutes, they managed to have an effective wrestling match with no build that I actually gave a shit about. And this match was sloppy. Um, choosing when to sell certain things really stuck out to me. And uh, I wrote this down as well. I still like Vicky. I still dislike Vicky so much. Overall, who could possibly care? Scott, please don't tell me you're one of those people that actually gave a shit. <laughs> I- I'm not. I'm honestly not. I think a big issue with Good some man. of the spots. I think one of the issues with the spots that Vicky was involved in, like especially like Sheeta, and then the thing post match we thought was going to go one way was like Nyla killing her, and then she didn't. Is like clearly it's a case of like Vicky's not a wrestler. Vicky cannot take bumps. So, but then her being the heel manager, like how can you really give her much comeuppance if she can't actually take a bump? Because like she kind of got shoved by, by. Uh, by Vicky, and as I described on an upcoming episode of uh, Retro Smackdown, she had the uh, second-year drama student levels of acting the, oh, no, I'm falling kind of reaction to when she kind of shoved her on the outside. <laughs> yeah, and she almost didn't even, like, make full contact. You know what I mean? Like, it, like the, especially the camera angle that they had for it, which, like, the camera was, like, right there. You could easily see that it was just like, oh, Vicky knows she's supposed to fall now. Um yeah, I just I I in comparison to like the Cassidy and Silver match where I couldn't say enough good things, I probably couldn't say enough bad things about this match. It was just not good. It was just I just hated it. I hated everything about it. It's just screened placeholder for me because like a few weeks ago, the the YouTube video of the Brett Baker's first like proper match back. In AEW, like post the tooth and nail match, was basically the title that implied that she was going to come after Karushida. 
I think it's clear a case of like we can't have that match just yet. So uh, oh yeah, we don't we haven't done this match yet, and we forgot that Nyla was number one in the ranking. So uh, let's do Shida and Nyla again. And like, I I didn't have any expectations of this of this match, and unfortunately those low expectations didn't help me whatsoever because like I didn't have any expectations of the double or nothing match that they had. But I was as I said on that review, I was perfectly surprised with that match. It was the I thought it was the best, one of the better. AEW women's sale matches up until that point until obviously they did it much better with Thunder Rosa and Shida all out and then with this it just like it got, it got four extra minutes over the NWA match and it, like you said it felt much longer like it just there's nothing about it that really sticks out like nothing that's memorable like again like they did this match much better a few months ago and like I said it just screams forgettable to me and like there was the spots like the cute ones like pulling their opponent up when they had them beat. Uh, I did like the one cool spot I can call it as far as like the top rope Falcon Arrow by Shida because you know as I say whenever Bob Polly hits the regular Falcon Arrow on Richard Smackdown, nobody kicks out of the Falcon Arrow. So what the hell is Nyla the Rose doing? So what the hell is Rose doing kicking out of a second rope bloody Falcon Arrow? And then I, I think I legit screened at the television when. Uh, Ricky grabbed Shida's leg because I didn't want Shida to lose the title, especially not to Nyla Rose. I was like, fuck off, Vicky. Like, I was talking about the only way that somehow Nyla could do it is like they were big enough that she has Vicky Guerrero. But even then, I was like, it was a case of like, Nyla's had her shot to be the champion. And yeah, she had to quarantine halfway through it. But like, still, even when she was on TV, she wasn't a very memorable champion. So, because I'm pretty sure Shida is like the longest reigning champion at this point. Yeah, she is. Yeah, yeah, and again, it says he's been the the best women's champion that they've had in terms of like match quality. Given like they had the match with like Ford, uh, Swole, and uh, Santa Rosa, but like again, feels why they're giving her nothing. And really, right now, looking at what happened to Rio and Nyla, like it's not a compliment to say you're the best AEW women's champion so far. Yeah, I mean, it's there are a lot of cruel comparisons you can make to being the best AEW Women's World Champion uh, because it's not a very high bar, so to speak. Um, but I mean, li- listen, I, we could sit here for the next fucking two days and talk about what we didn't like about this match. Or we could talk about a fantastic tag team title match. Which one do you want to go with? I- I'd much rather do that. I don't think I've anything that I can add constructively about the women's title match, other than the fact that Nyla Shea just killed uh, Vicky and Powerbonder through the ring. Yeah, for, for sure. Like, when when Vicky slapped Nyla, and Nyla just looked sad, and they cut away, I was like, okay, great. So this whole thing... So it's like, now they're, what, they're going to go back to dark, where nobody's going to see them, and that's it. Because, whatever. Anyway... Tag team title match for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Uh, if the Bucks had lost uh, this match, they were never going to challenge for the AEW World Tag Team Championship again. Tully Blanchard uh, was barred from ringside as the Young Bucks, met Matt and Nick Jackson, took on and defeated FTR, Cash Wheeler, and Dax Harwood for the titles in 28 minutes, 35 seconds. Um, they had like a Lakers versus Celtics vibe in their gear, uh, which was brought up on commentary. Um, they, I mean, they just wrestled the shit out of one another. I think this match started out kind of slow, but the second half was, uh, 
It, there were there was like a point in this match where um, after I think it was yeah Dax Harwood has that like injury to his hand. Um, it sort of like looked like they were overcompensating because there was a few injuries um, and everything. So it did get a little touch and go like about midway through the match, but then it like picked up with um, the uh, the Bucks doing the uh, Dudleys and the Hardys finishers and the Golden Lovers finisher that they also do, which is the BTE trigger. Um, and then uh, FTR pulling out the DIY uh, hmm. finisher that, and they get, and that gets called out on commentary. Um, the uh, I think the finish made FTR look foolish, uh, to be honest with you, because it's like literally their fucking slogan: "No flips, just fists." And Cash Wheeler goes for a fucking four fifty. Like, why? <laughs> just fucking why? Um, but overall, this match was fucking great. Um, unfortunately, the the uh, the being the elitists are the uh, the tag team champions right now. And uh, I believe uh, Cash Wheeler, uh, maybe Dax Harwood, one of them said uh, top guys out on uh, on Twitter. So I don't know if maybe they're going away for a little while uh, or they're just sort of done uh, for, you know, in AEW for a while. Uh, I'm not sure. But uh, this match was fantastic. Uh, what did you think, Scott? I loved it. Loved it. Uh, everything about it. Because, like, we were very critical about the, the build to this. Like, we were all very dismissive. Like, Bucks are going to win. Like, they're going to win. Like, yeah, but if they don't, but they are going to. Because, like, the whole stipulation added to it. And, like, something occurred to me on the day of that, like, part of me was, like, throwing out a brand of the day. Like, maybe this build has been so crap to this match to get people to, be, get people to lower their expectations of it. Because, obviously, going into the idea of Bucks VFTR, it's kind of been built up for, like, four years it was a box saying like one day we'll face off and the world will rejoice so maybe they're trying to quell people's expectations because a lot of people were going into it thinking this is going to be the greatest tag team match of all time so maybe they thought, let's throw a couple of random like shit things into this build to try and quell like people's enthusiasm and then pick it right back up again with having a fantastic match and well like their match with uh, Kenny and Tangman that all out was great as well and I think it was also around the 28 minute mark. The exception, unlike that one, this one didn't feel like it went 28 minutes. Like, it just kept going and going. It kept getting better. Like, I kept popping for like, the other tag moves. Like, I was like, you know, that gif of Jonah Hill kind of screaming like a little girl. That was what I was like when they did like the DIY move, like when they did the pose. Like, <gasps> they did the DIY thing. No, and, oh, dude, I. I like the second they got to the corners and Cash Wheeler went to do it and he was like, Dax, Dax, do the thing. The th like he, it looked like they were literally coming up with it like on the spot. <laughs> and then they did it and I freaked out and Excalibur calls it with taking a page out of DIY's playbook. I was just like, oh my God, fucking freaking out. Uh, but, because that that's something AEW does better than I think any like major American promotion where they're like, you know who the fuck FTR was before they got here. You know, the matches that they had and those exist in the world. So we're not going to just shy away from it. Yeah. Also uh, the four stars that FTR and the Jaggers have the gold one, a blue one, a red one and a yellow one. Which I think it's may symbolize that there have been AEW, NXT, SmackDown and Raw tag team champions. From yeah. what I heard, uh -huh. And also, like, Cash 
was the spoiler earlier on where like they took out like Matt, I think it was, and then Kat just dives and just does like the big like spear to Nick off the apron and just the quickness of how fast he got to the other side of the ring. It was like Jesus Christ and then he tries to do it later on and whatever buck he goes to do it he just, just moves out of the way. So he just soars over and almost like over the bloody like timekeeper's table and to, like it looked like he almost fucking died. Uh if also they like I know like Matt going into it kinda of caused him doubt because he was like he was like legit injured and then they also tried to injure Nick as well. Uh well they did have a, a whole spot where they did like the two sharpshooters, one on the inside, one on the outside of uh, the ring. And I thought they were gonna do again a repeat of like a DIY thing where like like uh, take over Toronto when FTR like both tapped out at the same time. I thought they were gonna try and like do that kind of thing, but then eventually Matt's leg gave out and Something I'll give the box credit for that, or I wish I would have seen more of it, Kenny Omega, is Nick. He's not even the one with the legit injury, but he had his ankle worked over. And when he was running to do like his, his spots, he was selling it while he was walking, running slower than he usually would if his ankle was healthy. Whereas Kenny Omega can't even be bothered to use the other arm to hit a one-winged angel with. But Kenny <laughs> going, supposedly broke your fucking arm. I- I'm just saying, like, take some notes from your elite friends. I, I agree. I, I'm happy that you brought that up because I wrote down in my notes here. Is there a better wrestles hurt wrestler than Matt Jackson? Like in mm-hmm. New Japan, when he had he was doing the whole lower back thing where he, he had the, uh, the the injured back for a while. And um, just whenever he has any sort of injury, he never forgets to sell it. Never forgets to sell it at as many times as humanly possible. Um, they did plenty of things here where uh, they mentioned it on commentary which i think commentary did a very good job on full gear 2 which was which was nice um mm-hmm. they did a very good job at like calling these things out and you know um matt would go for something and he would hurt himself and jr or shivani would be like oh why would you do that and excalibur was like well when you're in the heat of the moment during a world tag team title match like you're going to just do the things that got you to the dance without remembering that you're hurt. Um, and uh, was this where the uh, the pile driver was that you were yeah. scared? Yeah. Uh, was it the um, Matt Jackson taking the spike pile driver? Yeah, because also like, doing like, the old Magistella tie teams and like, they're doing like the brain busters, like assisted pile driver. I think it was just because like Matt's head was so low when like they do the setup part from where it looks like because like Again, I kind of like flashback to how low Austin's head was, the Owen pile driver, and I was really concerned mm-hmm. for Matt at that point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think for uh, you know storyline purposes and stuff, it's probably the right call. But as as an FTR, like a big FTR fan, um, I was kind of bummed that uh, that they that they lost the title here. Um, but this match was fantastic. I can't wait for another one. Um, Nick and Matt said during a uh, the like the post show media scrum that they did that uh, FTR was the best tag team they've ever been in the ring with, and that they got emotional when they won the belts because winning the AEW tag team titles actually meant the world to them. And it's it does kind of come across a little weird. It's like, well, it's your fucking company. You could have booked you guys to win the tag belts whenever you wanted. Um, but I guess. We're we're sort of seeing, you know, the rise of the elite now because they took about a year and a bit to build up the the brand and have a lot of these guys go over them. Kenny Omega was, you know, 
losing to people on TV. And, you know, granted, he had a long AEW tag team title reign, but he did that in part to help get Hangman over. And, you know, it seems that now we're getting sort of where everyone thought the, the company would be a year ago when they first started. And now it sort of feels I don't know. It was something I was going to ask you, actually, is do you feel like it's a little past due or is it like the right time that we are seeing the uh, like the the ascension of the elite? No, I think like it was they did make some smart decisions. Like, yeah, it seemed like Kaiman was getting pushed too quickly. But then also now everybody seems to be like a, a big, big fans of him. Kenny, like, yeah, he did the stuff with Hangman, which had a decent reign. Like they had great matches, like the match with the Bucks. And I think Kenny, like him and the Bucks, kind of taking a backseat to some other people. I think it was a smart decision on their part. They wanted to help you to build the brand. Like Bucks, like pretty sure it was the Bucks that went out and recruited Private Party. And like then they had that match and the world, the tag title tournament. And like you said, like the Bucks chose to put Private Party over in that match. Shame, obviously, it hasn't really that moment hasn't really carried on for much longer afterwards for Private Party because now just hanging around Matt Hardy but like it's a case of like it's just about building the division and like the idea of building it around other people rather than just themselves which I think a lot of people assumed that they would do and Cody basically like choosing to not be in the world title picture because he said pre uh, in the pre uh, full gear media call that he intends to keep that stipulation of not going for the world title so then they introduce a new title and he decides like every week I'm going to fight a new person on the roster, try and give them the best match, bring new people in like Eddie Kingston and Ricky Starks, and then sign them up and give them the platform that they need. Uh, and now he's helped like this over a year long story where Darby Allen was finally beating Cody. Now Darby Allen is a star, even though Cody's technically not the elite, but he was when the, when the company started. I think it is a, a smart decision. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it, it it's it's good to see that they took the time to do something that a lot of other places don't do when they have like an established, you know, upper cuz like look at it like um all in sold on the backs of those four guys. Kenny, Cody, the Bucks. You know, like that's that's what 10,000 plus people bought tickets to go see was those four guys. And I mean even even look at Madison Square Garden even though they were part of regular New Japan when like they announced that MSG show, they weren't when they got when that show rolled around. And you got I think a lot of people bought the tickets to be all in and wanted to see those guys. And then part of the reason why some people were complaining about certain portions of that show after it happened was they were trying to cover for the fact that they didn't have stars like the Elite anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um but I mean, it, again, this opened up uh, storyline possibilities and feud possibilities. Now that the Bucks are champs, um, it, it's you know it's going to be very interesting to see where this goes as well. So I mean, so far, except for the women's title match, the show has been uh, has been a pretty solid um, make good for uh, All Out. I should disagree with you on one thing about this match, though, is that I didn't actually mind the finish. Because like the FTR said in the past, like, especially Cash, that he can do four fifties, he just chooses not to. And I, like, I get you, I get the idea. Like, why would you do that? But I think it's the fact that Matt was so like looked so weak at that point that FTR got too confident, and so Cash said like, "Ah, oh, fuck, I'm gonna go for it," and then he failed. And then I originally thought I switched my like 
reaction to FGR right before the show. That again, like, there was the stories about Matt's like legit injury that apparently happened like way back in a match with like Butcher and Blade and during the summer. But I thought when Matt hit like the super kick and then he just fell into him, like he gave him his last bit of energy, and then that helped like, finish the match. That combined with the fact that like FGR kind of cost themselves the match, and then they mentioned on commentary, well, you got to think Tully Blanchard's gonna like lead the riot act to these guys, and I'm hoping like that. Even if they're not, if they're not going to be around for a while, they do come back and have another match, like another couple of matches with the Bucks. Because like FTR Young Bucks can't be a one and done thing. Because I think this needs to be a multi-match thing. Like, but like maybe if Tiller Blanchard is not barred the second time, he helps them win, and then the Bucks can say like you only won with Tully there. So then they have the third big deciding match. Because like maybe they have said like the wife teams from other companies as well. So maybe they only signed a short-term deal at AEW, or maybe the doors open for them to come back at some point. So I don't think this is the last time we've seen FTR. Yeah, I I hope so. I mean, literally, uh, as you were talking there, I just thought like if they if the Bucks win the first time and FTR win the second time, and they go to do a third, and they end up doing like a full sixty-minute no decision match that leads to like a two out of three falls or some sort of big like final confrontation between these two teams. I'm very, very looking forward to that. And, and I mean, just the, like the, the, the barefoot super kick though, definitely stood out because uh, it was interesting that that's how it came down is that it, I, cause they did that whole spot in like, like two thirds of the way through the match where uh, Matt uh, was it. Yeah. I always can get them confused, but uh, yeah, Matt, and uh, Dax were like constantly hitting each other, but blocking with their injured limbs and everything. Uh, I think that the these two gigantic, arguably the two best like tag teams in the world, had one of the best tag team matches. Uh, but now I got to ask you, which one did you prefer, the Revolution match or the Full Gear match? Oh, I got to hey. ask. Uh, I, don't even, I don't think I've even watched the Revolution match since it happened. Uh, I think I'll go with the Full Gear one. I think maybe because there was... Well, I don't want to say there wasn't story in the Revolution one because there was. Uh, but I think I think I preferred the Full Gear one. I think I'm probably saying that because it, it was more recent. If you ask me again in the last couple of weeks, time, once I've watched both of them, I may have a different opinion, but I'm going to go Full Gear because Probably because I'm like I wasn't used to Hangman and Kenny at the time as a team because they still felt thrown together to me. Whereas I've been a fan of FTR for a long time, and I'd, it's not that like I don't like the Bucks, but I'm, I'm a big fan of FTR. So I think the full gear match I'm going to go with. Yeah, I mean um, I'm going to agree because the thing that I remember not most, but it's like in the top three memories that I have from the Revolution match is. I just kept thinking about I can't wait for Bucks revival. Mm. That like it just kept popping into my head that this was the match that I wanted. Along with I mean thousands of other people wanted this match and they gave us especially with the injuries like uh, the one that Dax got during the match and the one uh, Matt came in with. Um, it it's you know they just they gave us the best that they had. And now I'm looking forward to 
when both of them are at 100% and we get the rematch and then the rematch to the rematch and then I don't fucking care put them in fucking war games they're like <laughs> their version of war games where it's just the two teams and they have two rings and a fucking cage and I don't know I don't care put actual dynamite in 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 the matches <laughs> right? these two teams uh sharks doesn't seem with freaking like laser beams attached to their heads yes sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their freaking heads you know activate the slow moving easily escapable device for all I care <laughs> Um, yeah, no, this match was, this match was fantastic and, uh, can't wait to see more, but moving on, uh, I don't even know how we're going to, I don't even know how to cover what happened next. We have Matt Hardy taking on Spanish God, Sammy Guevara in an elite deletion match that according to Wikipedia went, um, it went (laughs) some amount of time, but that's because I'm sure that the person taking the time was just so caught up in everything we got. Uh, Gangrel showing up, uh, who had kidnapped the Hurricane. Can you uh, maybe enlighten me on this? Because uh, Matt and Hurricane have like a short like interaction where um, Hurricane's like, "Man, I've been tied up for two years. What's up with that?" And Matt's like, "It's it's called long storm t- storm uh, long term storytelling and whatnot." So you know, sorry, it took a little while. We had the pandemic and you know all that. When did Hurricane get abducted by Gangrel or people in hoods that leaded to Gangrel? I don't know. I think you said two years. So I don't know. I, I, I maybe it was part. I think I know Hurricane was part of like he's like a like apocalypto thing, but that was three years ago. So I have no, I have no idea what he's talking about. Like because I know they did the thing with say uh, Hurricane and the Lake reincarnation, but but which I think they missed an opportunity. I don't think they fully went into what they could do with the Lake reincarnation and this match. But I think they did a better. Hurricane bit with that leak and the impact match because they had him go in and come out as like three count Shane Helms and then went back in and then came out as the Hurricane. And I think yeah. we realized like we 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 over we did it better last thing. What do we do this time? Yeah, and that's unfortunately like a lot of what this match felt like. I mean, we did get the ultimate style of warfare, trench warfare. Um, <laughs> there is there is no better warfare than trench warfare. You can quote me on it at me, at Ben underscore E-B-E-R-T, and tell me <laughs> that I'm wrong because you know that you're not, that you're wrong and I'm right. Trench warfare is the best warfare. Um, and um, we did get that. And then we got uh, the Dome of Deletion. We had uh, a full gear ring set out in the middle of uh, the woods there on the property. Um, private parties showed up, albeit like after a long time. It's like, you know, he called them and then like, Six minutes later, they showed up to fight um, Ortiz and Santana. Um, but, I mean, th- th- this was a lot of fun. But at the same time, like, the blood was obviously fake. Um, you could, t- I mean, I guess I could see it a little bit more that it was cornstarchy looking. Uh, but you had that pool of blood under Sammy Guevara's head. Um, and he took the chair directly to the face, which looked brutal. Um, they wrestled in the ring inside the Dome of Deletion where they were able to take the ropes off. And I thought Matt was going to turn into Broken Matt, like full Broken Matt, after he was getting choked out, but that didn't happen. Um, Rebby played her piano. Uh, they had pyro, and they were saying that it was fantastic. It was wonderful and um, everything like that. They put him in a, a, a bin barrel threw him in the back of a car, senior Benjamin making his jet, like triumphant return uh, to the mm-hmm. world of pro- professional wrestling. 
and drove Sammy Guevara elsewhere. I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe they threw him in a ditch or they drowned him in the Lake of Reincarnation or something. Um, this was weird. It wasn't as fun as, um, say, like Stadium Stampede or, you know, even Apocalypto or the, the other or the ultimate deletion that happened on Raw a couple of years ago. Um, in my notes, I wrote, um, did it deliver? What the fuck was this? Um, I don't know. What did you What did you think overall, though? Like, did this work for you, or were you sort of like, are you still sort of up in the air about it? I was. I enjoyed the first half of it. So, in a way, it delivered and didn't deliver at the same time. Because mm. I actually forgot up until like midway through the tag match that this match was still to happen. Because we haven't seen much of Matt in the build to this, like on Dynamite, because he got injured at all out. So I almost forgot this match was happening. And then, like, Matt was on the phone saying, like, I may need you guys, I may need you guys help if the inner circle or anyone else gets involved. And I first time thought, oh, who's he talking to? And I was like, oh, it's probably a private party, isn't it? And then it <laughs> yeah. was a private party. And then, like, what was funny is, like, I, I bought for the Gangrel appearance and also the appearance of Shane Helm. But then, like, randomly while the, Matt and Sammy were off the side uh, firing fireworks at each other and going over to the dome, I kept coming back to the ring. And it just felt like the weirdest six-man tag of all time broke out. Dispute <laughs> Profits and Hurricane versus Gangrel and Proud and Powerful, like something you'd see at a fucking Joey Janelle or GCW like, show. And uh, it, was just, it was just weird. And then I did love the, the appearance of Skarsgård, who randomly fell on Sammy to try and ca- capture him in the, uh, the Dome of Deletion, which he couldn't get out of. But then uh, once they were in the Dome of Deletion, like, it felt like they could have done more. Like, the kid just randomly unhooking the round post, and then Sammy was clearly covering over the, like, the hook bit, like when Triple H clearly covers over the bit of the sledgehammer that can actually do damage. And then I did like, like Sammy like teasing, like doing the Jeff, like Swanton, uh, and also the, the concertos that like, always like end the match. But it, it did feel like it was basically like, hey, remember when we did this before? Like highlights of like other broken match stuff that he's done in the past. Like, mem- remember Senior Benjamin? Remember the fireworks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember. And then, like, Rebbe randomly appeared and then Senior Benjamin. I'm like, this is going to be weird. Like, if Senior Benjamin got pulled over with this bin in the back and the the police, like, asked him what's in the wheelie bin, like, it's going to be very hard for Senior Benjamin to explain this. Like, what have you got in that wheelie bin? A uh, Spanish god. What? <laughs> I, I'm to dump the Spanish God in the lake of reincarnation. Sir, please step out of the car. Yeah, <laughs> he's just like confused. I did, I did like the uh, the, squat, the golf car, like call back to like the stadium stampede and everything. And uh, Matt ran away in a monster truck, cr- crushing and going. And that's what I call a squash match. Yeah, yeah. They they had a lot of. I mean, this worked. Uh, like you said, it worked and it didn't work. It worked on the level that like all of these deletion matches work, where there's it, it's very meta. They call out um, different things that have happened before. Characters will show back up. Um, we had the mild mannered Shane Helms turning back into the Hurricane. Um, we got a what's up with that. Um, <laughs> Matt did like five hundred twists of fates, and every single time. Sammy had spiked them, uh, including the one that he got out of and everything. Still looks great. Uh, Sammy got hit with like 12 or 13 of those like Roman candle 
like fireworks at one point when he was like in the mud and uh, there's a great image of just Matt like he was shooting them up into the air and then he was like nah fuck it and he just like lowered it and just fired on Sammy Guevara it was like <laughs> some of the imagery in this this match uh, was uh, it was just uh, like the more that I'm talking about it the more I do kind of love it because of how crap it was like it was just delightful it was fun it was stupid it was what you thought it was going to be essentially yeah. I think it's part of the, the fun of Broken Matt is like B-movie, like, comedy kind of thing. That's the best thing about the Broken Universe. I think because we have, like, memories of, like, previous ones, that's why uh, we're, that's why we're comparing it to those, which is where, like, some of the criticisms come from. But it was a bit of, like, much like the Orange Cassidy thing earlier on, like, it was, like, it had the best place on the card where it came after a really, like, great work rate match. So let's put this match in to kind of give people some laughs and kind of, like, like calm them down and like think what the hell's going on after like the great like tag team match they just watched. But part of me was disappointed afterwards because I was thinking it was called Daily Deletion. I'm pretty sure Matt before the pandemic caused them to not be able to do it on the compound challenge Jericho to a Daily Deletion. And like part of me started to think like, can you imagine what a Jericho v Matt Hardy like doing this style of match could look like like with Jericho going into the Lake of Reincarnation? Because like if there's one person who can do like multiple like changing character like moments uh, more than Matt it's fucking Chris Jericho like, coming out coming out as like uh, coming out as the Lionheart Chris Jericho or coming out with a sign that says conspiracy victim or coming out and saying I'm not a political person but <laughs> um yeah, uh, well, that was the um, the make good for the blood and guts match that they couldn't do. Uh, Matt cut that promo on the Hardy compound where he was full broken Matt still at the time, and he was uh, going to do Inner Circle versus the Elite with Matt Hardy, uh, and that's what was going to go down. And then it just never happened because of lockdown. Um, mm. And then they ended up coming to this, which I think this is um, as good as you were going to get probably uh, in you know the current the world that we currently live in. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, this was crap, but it was fun. It was, you know, you, you, you when was the last time Gangrel was on fucking pay-per-view, <laughs> you know, like, come on, like this, the, you, you can't hate this match too much. It was exactly what it probably should have been. And now Matt and Sammy can go off and do other stuff. I'd love to see Sammy and Darby now for the TNT title have that because their match at what was a revolution i think they had that match where it was like 10 minutes but the first like six minutes of it was on the outside before the bell even rang um and sammy's definitely a guy who's like better in the ring than he is in like these like brawling matches so i'm glad that we're gonna get away from that and matt can maybe do more private party stuff or maybe he'll go off and he'll try and win some gold or or something so uh yeah, I mean this this worked at, uh, as 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 well it was probably going to. Yeah, I think I I, I, hope, I really hope that uh, Darby is there. I really hope that Sammy doesn't show up on Dynamite for another week or so because like, I want them to come to Wednesday and like the the uh, the other circle in their locker room and like they're all like, has anyone seen Sammy? Like, no. Did he not come back from the company with you? No. Like we we couldn't find him and. Like, we had to give that vampire guy a ride home. <laughs> in regards to the Gangrel, like, asking when the last name's on pay-per-view, I think the one the last name he was on pay-per-view could have been when he took part in the Royal Rumble 2000, which, uh, review, which you can find in the next, coming in the next couple of weeks on the Rogue Opinions podcast feed. 
Ooh, plug, 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 plug. Um, something that didn't work as well, um, arguably second worst match of the night, is MJF with Wardlow taking on Chris Jericho. And if MJF wins, he and Wardlow are allowed to join the inner circle. Um, I thought this was kind of crap. I'm not going to lie. Um, MJF had a cool entrance with the light-up jacket. Jericho's jacket was insane with the gold spikes everywhere and and everything. Um Jericho gave the worst punches in the world when he was standing on the top rope. Um, the crowd seemed like they didn't give a shit or they were burnt out after the elite deletion match. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. MJF ended up swindling his way to victory, uh, pulling an Eddie Guerrero uh, when um, he originally asked Wardlow to come out to give him the dynamite diamond ring. Um, and then Jericho asked for Floyd the bat and he got the bat and as the referee's turning around mjf takes you know takes a bump and while aubrey is uh arguing with jericho about whether or not he used the the bat jericho rolls uh jericho gets rolled up one two three uh mjf and wardlow can now join the inner circle they're all together and hopefully this means mjf is on his way to taking the inner circle from jericho uh possibly or whatever is they're planning for all of that. Um, overall, the match was eh. They embrace and uh, MJ, uh, MJF and Wardlow are now in the inner circle. I don't know. Thought this match was kind of crap. Um, what about you? I like the finish. I'm not going to lie. I like the finish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, with the uh, like Eddie Guerrero thing, you know, doing the flop like, uh, like the toys when Andy comes back into the room. <laughs> yeah. And I like the, the entrances. Where Jericho, he did the MJF did like the Jericho layup tease, and then uh, everybody sang, you know, Jericho's favorite song, you know, uh, Stop the Count. I mean, uh, Judas. <laughs> but... <laughs> Fozzie's next great single, Stop the Count. <laughs> but uh, overall, God, this was boring. So, so boring. Would you be like, surprised if I told you that this match was only 16 minutes and 10 seconds long? So it, it pretty much went the same length as Buddy, as Buddy, like Omega, Iron Man, and yet this felt much longer. <sighs> like, yeah, so here's how this, let's have the same main event where your UK fans, especially, are really tired. And let's have two heel wrestlers wrestle each other who wrestle at a deliberately slow pace. For more than 15 minutes. This will really keep people awake. Uh, I heard some people were mentioning that this may have gone the, the way of the um, Shawn Michaels Triple H European title match on Raw from, what was that, 97? Or something where they like started to wrestle for like a minute and then Shawn gets hit with like a gentle breeze and falls over and then Triple H wins the European title. Uh, I almost would have fucking preferred that. Instead of like an actual, like wrestling contest, like yeah, MJF pulled at the code breaker at one point. That was cool, but like for the most part, yeah, it was just slow, boring. I was like, this is one of the matches given the build I was looking forward to as well. And like honestly, you should have just put this match earlier in the card and like have it be like sandwich the elite deletion between the tag match and the world title match because it would have been the perfect match to bridge those two because it's like so different because uh, like this is exactly what happened to Jericho at All Out like yeah the Mimosa Mayhem match was like fun 
and it helped, really helped Orange Cassidy. But it was not in a good spot in the card, given it was between like uh, FTR, Hangman and Kenny, and Moxley, MJF. And then again, like clearly Jericho has not learned that his base of match is like not really suited for like the semi-main spot on a show that's already going like more than three hours. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I I agree with you. At the beginning, with the entrances, cool. Uh, the people singing, uh, stop the count. I mean, uh, Judas, over <laughs> and over. Like that's always fun. Um, MJF coming out in the jacket was cool and everything. Um, still love MJF's theme. Really cool. Um, the end of it, the finish was good, but the entire middle was just slow plotting. Uh, dog shit, really. Uh, just not good. Not good. Um, yeah. So, like, storyline-wise, right decision, like, for MJF to win because, like, you can do so much more with him being in the inner circle and members of the inner circle are not liking that he's in the inner circle. And I think they've been teasing some tension between Jake Hager and Wardlow. So, you know, see where that goes. Because, like, I think, like, if Jericho does get out of the inner circle, at least one of the members of the inner circle is going to go with them. So, like, they can keep the same number, just replace the two of them with, like, uh, MGF and Wardlow. And I think if someone's going to follow Jericho, it's probably going to be Hager. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't see the air circle having, like, two big guys in the group with Wardlow and Hager. Yeah, and then, like, Sammy and Ortiz kind of didn't like the fact that MJF was trying to join either. Um, really, the only two people that were like on side for it was Jericho and Santana. So um, it'll be interesting to see where this goes. And because uh, I think Jericho's probably turning face, like fully face, um, sooner rather than later. And I think doesn't Fozzie have like a tour coming up or something? I don't know. Jericho's good on commentary too. So like, who the fuck knows where this is going at this point? Um, I'm interested to see story storyline wise where it's going. But this match did not do yeah. this any favors. I think they're going to have to do a really good job of how they tell us to wear Jericho turning face. Because the last week or so, he turned himself into the biggest fucking heel uh, with that bloody tweet. He tweeted sent out during the bloody like election uh, when they're still counting the votes. And, you know, Bozzy's got, you know, their social distancing tour coming up next with that old feature. No social distancing whatsoever. Even though Jericho will go on, he's like, Facebook Live show or whatever it is and claim that there was social distancing even though the photos, even Stevie Wonder could tell there was no social distancing at that concert. Jesus, yeah. Let's stay clear of that. Uh, Let's go to uh, the main event of the evening here. John Moxley, Eddie Kingston for the AEW World Championship in an I Quit match. First uh, I Quit match in AEW history. Uh, By the time we got to this match. By the time the pay-per-view started, I was all but convinced Eddie Kingston was leaving with the title. Um, this match was pretty much exactly what you would hope it would be. Um, they 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 brought out the thumbtacks. Uh, they you know they they beat the holy hell out of each other. A uh, little bit of uh, Eddie Kingston had blood from the mouth. Uh, John Moxley bladed, and he was bleeding from the head. Um, they were beating the hell out of each other. Uh, K- Kingston stood on Moxley's cock and balls for all of, you know, 30 seconds at one point in this match. And Renee, uh, Renee Young or Renee Paquette, as she's known now, uh, tweeted, can I quit this match for my <laughs> husband, please? Um, 
so as always renee is uh, always having a good time while her husband is wrestling um this match was all right uh it you know wasn't the best match on the show but it also was very much not the worst match on the show um uh and at, at the end uh moxley has the bulldog choke on uh it's not working eddie kingston's refusing to say i quit um so he takes the barbed wire wraps it around his arm and then ra- and then wraps on the bulldog choke one more time uh blood streaming from the mouth of eddie kingston and he has no other choice but to say the word i quit um th- i mean did you see the go home episode of dynamite that like promo that they did in the ring uh where, I did. like uh, you you made a promise to your mother that you can't keep they showed that promo like six times over the course of the day but I never got o- over how goddamn good it was. And uh, Eddie Kingston is fucking magic. He very much mm-hmm. is. Uh, his promo skills leading up to this match was fantastic. He honestly carried the build a little bit because Moxley is Moxley the whole time. Like, he didn't really do much. I mean, you could see that he sort of hated the fact that he had to be um, in this position where he had to hurt hit one of his longtime friends and sort of turn his back on a promise that he had made uh, to keep him safe because he needed to knock him down a little bit. I'm not exactly sure where Eddie Kingston goes from here, um, but we do have John Moxley and Omega. Uh, but before we talk about the uh, show closing angle at the end where Omega came out, we're just going to talk about the match real quick. Scott, what did you think of the main event of the evening? I should say that, hey, I don't know why... Butcher Blade or Lucha Bros didn't get involved, you know, it's no DQ. I don't think they ever, like, clearly said on commentary whether or not uh, Kingston told them not to, because if he had, then that's fair enough, like, because there was a moment on the buy, and I forgot to mention earlier on, but I'll mention it here because it's relevant, but there was a moment on the buy where you had Kingston dressed like a, a as one of my friends said, uh, Kingston was dressed like a villain from one of the Grand Theft Auto games uh, on the, on the buy in. Like he had them, he was surrounded by the entire entire group or the fam, as they're apparently now called. You had the blades there, who looked like he was getting ready to rob a bank. Uh, you had Butcher looking like bloody Doctor Robotnik from Sonic the Hedgehog, and uh, Pentagon wearing a, a lovely red leather jacket that I really want. I really want that jacket. That I literally said jacket. out loud, "I want." I literally said out loud, "Watching, I want that jacket." You know. Never thought myself of somebody who should who should be wearing a leather jacket, but I, I think I, I think I still want that jacket. Um, the thing that stood out to me was the nameplate that came up during that interview on the buy-in, where it was Eddie Kingston and his fam. I was just it ended me. I don't know why. I just found it so funny. And the um, the backstage announcer, I don't know who this fucking guy was. I I could you could, I could not be asked to look up the, who this guy was but he was like uh Eddie uh if you don't mind I, I would like to ask the fam a question and it just like I'm I almost spit my beer out like watching the watching the buy in because it just made me laugh so hard um it was good to hear um like the people that got asked a question um other than Allie or I guess the bunny um because she was just sort of like that's a stupid question and stuff like whatever <laughs> um but like it was good to hear Pentagon sort of like uh, talk a little bit, or Penta El Zero Miedo, uh, uh, hearing him talk uh, a little bit in Spanish and English, cutting that promo, and then Eddie Kingston, who was just the promo on the buy-in was so good, just never breaking eye contact with the camera that was on him, and he, uh, whenever he was asked a question, he was just like, I don't care, 
I don't care. Uh, it's about the title. I don't care. Um, oh, we forgot to mention uh, earlier on, uh, very quickly, um, Lance Archer cut a promo in an alleyway uh, with um, with J- uh, Jake the Snake, and essentially everybody dies. Um, but also, the only how, how tall how tall is Jake Roberts? By the way, I only noticed that in these last couple of weeks when Archer's been cutting promos, because Archer towers over just about everybody. But recently, I've noticed like Jake Roberts isn't that much shorter than isn't that much shorter than Lance Archer. Maybe because like uh, the era that Roberts came up in, that he didn't really seem like the tallest, given compared to the other people he was working with. But I'm watching a thing like. Who fucking tall is Jake Roberts? Jake, Jake Roberts, uh, after a quick uh, Google, uh, Jake Roberts is 6'5", Lance Archer is 6'8". There you go. And I did like the fact that he had a snakeskin like, vest on during mm-hmm. the promo. That was a nice touch. Um, yeah, and and because uh, what made me think of that was the... Uh, the pre-show promo with Eddie Kingston where uh, the interviewer straight up asked him like Lance Archer has made it clear that he wants to come for the world title again. And if you win the title and his answer was just staring directly at the people watching at home was, I don't care. It's about the title. I don't care. His story was fantastic uh, in the buildup. The match was all right. Like it wasn't um, amazing. It felt big because of the buildup. Um, Eddie Kingston coming out. And uh, I think it was a, Minor, uh, not Minoru Suzuki. Um, his gear was inspired by um, a fa- uh, people who are listening to this are p- so pissed off that I forgot this at this point. Um, his his gear was inspired by a famous Japanese wrestler that helped train him. Um, and they did they did mention Suzuki. I think at one point during the match because of the watch like pile driver that mm-hmm. uh, that uh, Kingston hit at one point. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, Mizawa, I think it might have been. Anyway, anyway, um, he. I thought he looked sort of like if uh, the Green Ranger joined the Spirit Squad a little bit. <laughs> um, and that's no, that's no slight against Eddie Kingston. I think um, I I knew I, I've maybe met Eddie Kingston once, but I've been around at shows where uh, Eddie's performed. Uh, I've always sort of pretty much been a fan of him most of the time, but his stuff in AEW has been really, really fantastic. And if the reports are right where he has said that the AEW is his home now, and this is where he's going to stay. I'm intrigued to see what else Eddie Kingston does and who else he gets involved with. And his, I mean, just his promos alone are enough for me. And then the matches are hard hitting. He, the, when he hit the backhand with the barbed wire wrapped around his hand, I was like, Ooh, God, like you can see Moxley's face was all cut up at one point, And they really kicked the holy hell out of each other. And uh, Moxley took the thumbtack bump uh, in this match and uh, uh, Omega comes out at the end and he picks up like the one thumbtack that was on the ramp and just looks at it and throws it away and he's like I ain't stepping in there for any of this um, I mean obviously uh, Excalibur had to ad lib a little bit uh, when because they didn't have a microphone for this but uh, Omega was essentially like we're not doing this next time we're gonna we're gonna distance ourselves from our match a year ago which uh, another one of those Fun coincidence is uh, is a year ago at Full Gear, Moxley and Omega had that like insane death match, uh, the lights out match uh, at Full Gear that uh, divided opinions. You know, one of our co-hosts was very upset um, at the distinction between Kenny Omega and the Kenny Omega that was in the lights out match. Um, but uh, 
Yeah, Omega. It was a fucking death match. <laughs> yeah, it was a fucking death match, but he came out to check on the bloody women earlier in the show. Uh, let's not get into that. Um, so, yeah, uh, do you think uh, Omega is the guy to take the belt off Moxley? Because I thought Moxley was losing here. Yeah, so did I. Like, I love the, the promo. Like, you know, hey, I like Moxley, but anyway, I mentioned Kings and Miller. Like, Kingston, don't take that. He talked about your more. Sit about him, son. <laughs> and I, I really wanted Kingston to win. And I, I couldn't see any reason why either guy would quit. And then I did like the uh, the, the barbed wire spot. And you could tell even with the barbed wire, like, me threw up, just, like, sticking into his neck. It was even, like, it was, like, hard for Kingston. Like, he was just resisting the urge to say, I quit. He wanted it, like, that much. And then he eventually did and he didn't accept Moxley's help to help him up after the match. I just believe that Kingston bucks the trend of bucks the trend of I set something up in a weapons match, which means I'm going to be the one taking the bump when he actually set up the thumbtack and then he used them for the intended purposes of actually putting Moxley in rather than the usual, like, he sets the thumbtacks up and then gets put through them, kind of like when he had the match with Cody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think um, that yeah, uh, Eddie Kingston did a lot of work, but I I definitely think I definitely should call out Bryce Remsburg uh, for like the good work that he did uh, in this match because I I've been on record on this podcast, not this exact podcast, but other podcasts we've done in the past where I've called out that uh, he can be a little like, look at me, look at me, I'm the ref, you know, whatever. Um, but hit the pain on his face like showed through towards the end where he was like begging eddie kingston to quit like dude come on i don't i can't call this this time you have to say i quit like please give up like i'm so like because they're friends in real life and every little thing from the build got brought into um into into this match in like a really really good way there wasn't a lot of like like it looked like this was the match that they wanted to put together and they put the match on that they wanted to and it definitely it definitely worked the best that it was going to. Um, so I got to ask you, Scott, I've mentioned what my match of the night was and what I'm calling the shite of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was your match of the night and shite of the night? Shite of the night, uh, I think, goes to and the women's match is too obvious, even though it was shite, but I think maybe... Um, uh, yeah, fuck it, I'm gonna have to go with the women's one. Like, I can't, like, I'm trying to be nice, but like, it was shite. It yeah. was. Yeah, and yeah. For me, for me, match of the night goes to the uh, the tag team title match, because obviously that had a lot to live up to. I will briefly say that I didn't get a chance to mention about Omega. I do like, yeah, you said, like, the little circle kind of thing that they faced each other last year, and like, it was also like, remember last year when we were talking about this part of the story of Moxley going into that match was he was annoyed actually it was a lights out match because like even if he beat Omega which he wanted to do it didn't go on his record and so like like they've had like one only had to face each other one time and it hasn't affected either man's record so now there's going to be like proof of like I was I this one here this latest one that was over you I beat you I was a better man I'm the world champion and I'm wondering if they're going to hold out to a revolution maybe for this match because like they only do four periods a year, but like I don't think they do this long to just have mostly lose on like one of the dynamite specials, especially given that he's already they said like he's the longest reigning champion, even though he's only the second ever champion. 
But like, I think the idea of him going to Revolution like almost a full year and then losing to Kenny would be interesting. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, uh, my my match of the night was uh, Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes. Loved it. It was the thing that got me most interested. Young Bucks and FDR, I really dug. Uh, and everything, but uh, I think uh, my reaction to Co- to Darby winning, like, really was like the high point of the night for me. Um, Shite in the night, definitely women's match, no contest. Um, although MJF and Jericho, watch your fucking step because <laughs> you guys were fucking really close. Um, so yeah, that that'll do it for us here for the uh, the full gear review. Uh, this wonderful grapple update here. Um, Nathan will be back with us next time uh, if he can. If he wants to, you know, keep calling. Um, did did he call a press conference for that? Like you heard that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, that was that was awful. You know, I mean, I don't, I've heard there was not even any masks or anything. You know, and he, all he had to do was like make some sort of like tweet or something like that, or just like record a like thirty seconds at most. And he called a full press conference. You know, he used the company credit card and everything. Like, we've been getting phone calls about that, but the un. Like unusual charges and everything. Like he's, like he weighs is a lot more complicated than it had to be. Well, I mean, if anything, that's very Nathan. Uh, but you can find Nathan at Nathan Greenaway. Uh, always follow us here at Rogue underscore Opinion. Um, go and check out uh, our Facebook page, uh, Rogue underscore Opinion on Twitter. As I said, uh, the Nerdo Network, Nerdo Network dot com, uh, for where all of our stuff pops up, uh, as well uh, as well as on your podcast feed. Scott, tell the people what you got going on in the world. As as one of the arguably one of the finest minds, finest wrestling minds in the UK, I am very very busy at the moment. You know, of course, I've of course. got I've got here on Rogue Bands, you know, the Rogue Rituals Matching Review. You know, we're right on the road to the Rumble. We've got some stuff planned there. We've got guests planned from after the Rumble. And we have the the contest between ourselves and uh, the Undisputed Wrestling Podcast, which, Who? you know, I take a stand from the... I don't know. Forget them. They're not important. But <laughs> I take a stand for the A-team uh, as I'm setting up a date to, you know, take Callum Hogan to school. Uh, it's very nicely and show them you know, what a real wrestling genius looks like. Uh, my latest guest this coming Sunday's episode of Rogue Retro Smackdown Review is Rain from the uh, Hallway Wrestling Podcast as part of Project Dits. And uh, you'll hear it on there that we set up basically for me to be on his show, the uh, uh, TakeOver Throwback Show, where me and him are going to talk about NXT TakeOver Blackpool 1 because, well, I was there, so and I haven't watched it back since, so, you know, that'll be fun. I don't know if his podcast will come out before the SmackDown episode we did, but listen to both of them, because they're great. Uh, Scott and Paul's Ramble podcast at SB Rambling. Uh, we've had a bit of a delay, because Paul's not really feeling well at the moment, and we're struggling to get around recording right now with the current circumstances that are going on, but we'll be we'll have another episode very soon. I, I, think, I don't know if I mentioned to follow me on Twitter at Cloud1986. To find a bit of other stuff I'm up to, like stuff with ESSR and Saturday Night Live. I am everywhere, and basically follow me on Twitter, where you'll find links to everything. Excellent, excellent. And uh, uh, I'm on Twitter, of course, at Mr. Riot. That's M-R-R-I-0-T, because Counter-Strike is a thing when I was a kid. Uh, Pro Wrestling Magic is back again, November 21st, 3 p.m. on Fight. Uh, we will be presenting Battle Brunch. 
uh, where the winner of the Brunch Bowl tournament will become the brand new Pro Wrestling Magic Dark Arts Champion. Um, the Pro Wrestling Magic Kingdom is about to change forever, and if you can't be there, join us on Fight because it's going to be a fantastic show. Um, you can follow uh, all the stuff that's going on in the Pro Wrestling Magic Kingdom at Wrestling Magic on Twitter, youtube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Magic for all the good things going on over there as well. Rogue underscore opinion. And before we go, just a really quick rest in peace to Mr. Alex Trebek, who passed away earlier today uh, at the age of 80 years old. Um, 35, 36 years, I think, on Jeopardy. Uh, definitely a big part of a lot of my life and a lot of my friend's life. And it is, uh, it's a shame to see him go, but uh, him and Sean Connery can now battle for eternity <laughs> in the afterlife, as we all know that they are one to do. Um, so uh, as we leave here uh, on the Grapple Update, thank you very much for joining us. Have a great day. And, uh, you know, make sure to take care of each other because wrestling's fun and all, but the world's a scary place sometimes, especially without Alex Trebek. I don't know. Fuck off. Who controls the British crown? Who keeps the metric system down? We do. We do. Who leaves Atlantis off the maps? Who keeps the Martians on their rafts? We do. We do. Who holds back the electric car? Who makes the Gutenberg a star? We do. Fish of their sight Who rigged every Oscar night We do 